Looking at the chaos all around us, it can be hard to see God's grand design. Some pieces are easy and familiar, but some don't seem to fit. And a few pieces appear to be missing altogether. So is life just random? Is God really in control? Does he see something that we don't? With time and patience and trust in the designer of life itself, we'll see that God has all the pieces carefully laid out. And there will be a day when everything will come into focus and we'll see the wisdom, the perfection, and the beauty of all that God planned. Well, once again, Happy New Year to everybody. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm so glad that you're here. We had an amazing weekend celebrating Christmas Eve last weekend. In every single service, people said yes to giving their hearts and lives to Jesus. And I'm just so grateful to everyone who gave and served and invited and made space for that moment to happen. As we stand on the edge of another year, I want to look back over the, the series that brought us to this particular moment. Before time began, God planned a moment when he would introduce Jesus into the world. The Bible tells us what his purpose was. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So that means Jesus came to open the door of relationship between you and God, which means you were a part of the plan right from the very beginning. Throughout the series, we saw how God used regular people to bring about his perfect plan. And all the way back in the Old Testament passages of Genesis 3, Isaiah 6, Isaiah 9, Micah chapter 2, we saw how God planned down to the most intricate detail how Jesus would come as the Messiah. We explored for six weeks how God meticulously selected the messed up family tree of Jesus, complete with the most unlikely people, to show us that God can use brokenness to bring about wholeness. And as we got closer to the birth of Jesus every single week, we saw how God chose Mary and Joseph, the shepherds and the wise men, to join in the amazing architecture of the incarnation. It's a fancy word for the moment when God became a human baby. And I need us to notice this truth. It's so unbelievably important. Every single person in the very first Christmas that God planned had a choice. They had a decision about whether or not they would participate in God's design. God doesn't force anyone to choose his way, ever. Even Herod, in his arrogance, had a choice to worship the king of kings, but he said no, which means you can say no to God's plan as well. But I want you to also notice this. Every one of the originals had an option, and they each chose to say yes to God. When Mary was told she would carry the Son of God in her womb in spite of the scandal and the impending judgment of all the people in her community, risking her own life even, she still said yes. When Joseph was told to marry Mary, in spite of his reputation, knowing that it would be lost for a lifetime, he still said yes. When the shepherds were told to go find Mary and Joseph, regardless of the fact that they would be risking rejection from the people in Bethlehem, they still said yes. When the wise men saw the star, even though they would have to leave the comfort of home to follow God's plan, they still said yes. And think about what came out of that decision. 
out of their obedience to God's plan. Mary gave birth to Jesus. Joseph became a surrogate father. The wise men found their way to worship the true king and the shepherds. Even though they were outcasts, they became the very first missionaries to carry the message that a savior had been born and that he was and is and forever will be the Messiah and savior of the world. You look at that whole story and there's only one conclusion from these examples. Miracles happen when people say yes to God. I say it again, miracles happen when people say yes to God. Over the next couple months, I'm going to make that choice personal. And I'm going to keep coming back to you over and over and over again. And I'm going to keep asking you a question. Will you say yes to God? When life is good, will you say yes to God and thank Him for His goodness? When life is painful, will you continue to hold on to his promises and continue to say yes to God. When you face pressure to conform, will you stand firm and still say yes to God's standards? When a decision of following Jesus costs you something, will you still count that cost and say yes to paying that price because you believe it's worth it? When there's no blessing in sight and God still asks you for obedience, will you say yes to putting your faith in what you can't see and still say yes to God. Some of us look at Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and the wise men, and we actually think, you know, they actually had it pretty easy when it came to saying yes, because at least they had stars and, stars and angels, right? I mean, most of us would go, yeah, I mean, if an angel showed up in my living room and told me that I had to do something for God, I'd probably be more likely to saying yes. If a star showed up in the sky and directed me exactly in the direction of God's will, I would be willing to say yes. Of course, we would say yes if there was an angel attached to it, but how do you say yes and make a good and godly decision when it feels like all you have is you? Whenever I think about tough moments when people had to discern saying yes to God, I always think about David and a scenario from 1 Samuel. If you've been around Christ the King for any period of time, you've heard me preach this before. I believe when something is worth hearing, sometimes it's worth hearing multiple times. Let me set the stage. God told David one day, you're going to be the king of Israel. So David has a promise. Here was the problem. Israel already had a king. A guy named Saul, and he wasn't going to give up the throne easily. Saul knew about God's promise to David, but instead of saying yes to God's plan, he decided, as we often do, to take matters in his, into his own hands. He just decided, I'm just going to kill David. I mean, there's no David, there's no promise. If there's no promise, there's no threat. If there's no threat, this is no big deal. First Samuel 24, Samuel, or Saul is hunting David in an area called En Gedi. On our recent trip to Israel, we went to and Getty. A Getty is a wild goat with humongous horns. Here's a picture of one right there. Isn't he cute? They make shofars, Old Testament horns, out of their horns. Okay? So they live up in the rocky cliffs of Israel, and David went to hang out with the goats. The place that's known as En Gedi also has a freshwater spring. Here's a picture of the waterfall that literally comes out of the rocky hills of Israel. The place in the desert that David goes has this fresh water spring and we actually got to hike up to the falls where the story took place. It is peaceful, it's quiet, and later on it became a place where David would retreat to think and to make decisions. And he's going to have a really tough decision right now. This is an opportunity for David 
to say yes to God. Here's what happens. He says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now you understand all of those little pieces. He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And yes, that means exactly what you think it means. <laughs> David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of you when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So think about this for just a second. David had an opportunity to make his life easier. The guy who's chasing him all over the hills of Israel, the source of his problem, is right there in front of him, and he's vulnerable, and he's exposed, literally and figuratively. And his men, the guys who are also being hunted by Saul, are with David, and they're like, David, seriously, this has got to be a God moment. Look, he's right there in front of you. Your enemy is right there. God must have put him right there. Now's your moment. Kill him and let's go home. But David says no. And in saying no to safety, no to being free, no to being chased all over the hills, no to getting to go home, no to getting the throne early. In saying no to all of that, David said yes to God's plan, his timing, and his purpose. If you take a step back, you gotta ask a question. How did David come to that decision? Well, this is the greater the truth that David used. He started with the law of God, then he moved to the principles of God, then he chose to move closer to the wisdom of God, and finally he discerned the will of God. Let me say them again. The law of God, the principles of God, the wisdom of God, and the will of God. Law, principles, wisdom, will. Law, principles, wisdom, and will. David knew God in God's heart, so even though this situation presented itself like a God-given opportunity, David knew better. Let me tell you the reasons why David did not take Saul's life. Reason number one, thou shalt not commit murder. That's God's law. Reason number two, no one removes God, or no one removes a king except for God himself. David knew God's principles. Reason number three, God promised the kingdom to David through his timing, not an act of David's timing. Following God's timing, not our timing, that's God's wisdom. Reason number four, David was a man after God's own heart, so when his will is clear, David would know it, and his actions would follow his conviction. That's trusting God's will. And they're supposed to be used in that order. Law, principles, wisdom, will. Listen to David spell out the decision in what I would call the aftermath. Verse number five, it says, Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave 
and called out to Saul, my Lord and King. When David looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Can you imagine that? You just finished going to the bathroom in a cave. You walk out. Your mortal enemy, who you've been trying to kill, walks out of the same cave you just came out of and goes, Hey, Saul, yoo-hoo! He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he's the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of robe, your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize I'm not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I've not wronged you, but you're hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me, but my hands will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hands will not touch you. It's all in there. David refused to kill Saul because he knew God's law, he knew God's principles, he knew God's wisdom, and he knew God's will. How about you? If you're going to make the best decisions of your life in 2024, do you know God's law? Do you know God's principles? Do you know God's wisdom and God's will? My brothers and sisters, the only place you can find God's law, God's principles, God's wisdom, and God's will is in God's word. If you don't know God's word, here's the issue. You're left with trying to make decisions based on your own grid. And that's just scary. You know who my grid serves? Me. I can make my grid say all kinds of things, and it's interesting. Every single one of my decisions seems to benefit me all the time. What if there's a higher purpose to my life? I want to personally challenge you. Along with your resolution to get in shape and reset your life and ditch sugar and eat an all-protein diet for 365 days. I don't know why everyone laughs at that one, but they do. Would you also resolve to spend time every single day in the Word of God so that you can know God's law, God's principles, God's wisdom, and God's will? This is what the Word of God will help you do. Let's run some examples. Happens a couple times a year. I always love it when it does. Young guy approaches me and says, so I, I think I want to get married, but I'm just not 100% sure that she's the one. I'm like, okay, let's talk it out. How did you meet her? Oh, it was such a God thing. It was such a God thing. And out comes the story. God just put her right there in front of me. I'm like, okay, awesome. That's great. I love that. And ask a follow-up question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Yes, I am. Is she a follower of Jesus? Often the answer is, well, she's very spiritual. That's not what I asked. Does she follow Jesus? They'll often say, well, she's nicer than most Christians that I know. That may be true, but again, not what I asked. Does she follow Jesus? No. 
then she's not the one. And then come the excuses. But I love her. It doesn't matter. But I think it's a God thing. It's not. But I want to. And, and you can. You have an opportunity, but I'm going to be completely honest and transparent with you. Saying yes to her will mean saying no to God because God said, do not be unequally yoked. And by the way, that's not because God thinks you're better. God put that law in Scripture because he wants both of you to be able to share the depth of your love for him. And that starts with both of you loving him more than you love each other because that's the only way to have a godly marriage. And all God's people said, Did you notice something? We never even got to the principles, wisdom, and will. We never even got there. The answer was already apparent because of what God had already told us in his commandment. And here's the problem for so many of us. We don't want to start with God's law. You know where we want to start? Our feelings. But this is the way I feel about it. Can I tell you something? Your feelings are a horrible barometer when it comes to decision making. They're just horrible. We want to start with our feelings and then we try to discern God's will based on those feelings, which never works. And we rarely even make it to God's wisdom, principles, and law because here's the reality. We want what we want and in wanting what we want, we often dismiss or completely disregard what God wants. And that's a hard truth, but it's true. And if you don't believe me, just take a look at the world around you. Here's... Here's the core of the matter. Your life is full of situational ethics, decisions, and choices. You're going to make some this afternoon and tomorrow. They could determine the direction of the rest of your life. Making the best decisions and choices with the ethics of Jesus is a challenge in our modern world. But choosing to say yes to God is the only way you can come in complete alignment with God's plan for your life. When David left the cave that day, he was still hunted and tired and maybe even a little frustrated. But he walked out with something far greater than a throne. He walked out knowing he'd been obedient, faithful to God's promise, and that he was one day closer in the preparation phase of him becoming a king after God's own heart. Here's another scenario. So a friend of mine is looking at a career change. We had an opportunity to sit down. He had an opportunity to buy into a company and the result would have been incredibly lucrative for he and his family. It's easy to see financial remuneration as God's blessing, but we need to learn to move beyond that kind of perspective because the truth is God can bless, but God's blessings are often not defined by money because he knows where real riches lie, right? So we talked it out. So if you get into this partnership, is there a law of God that would endorse or prohibit this kind of business? And there didn't appear to be one. We started thinking through God's principles, God's wisdom, and God's will. Everything seemed to be a green light. But my friend had this, this check, this, this hesitation in his spirit that, that something was just a little bit off. And I have to tell you, my friend, he covered his bases in prayer and seeking wisdom and in seeking God. He took his time and when he came to, to sign the contract, he noticed something. The agreement he was going to make with was with a parent company, not the local company that was right here in Whatcom County. And an alarm bell went off in his head. 
Something just said, stop. He went and did some research, and here's what he found. The parent company owned a media subsidiary that produces pornography. And my friend knew right away, I can't partner with something God says is evil. I can't partner with something that takes advantage of somebody else's daughter. You see, there's principles about partnership in the word of God. And the wisdom of God says this, fresh water and salt water can't flow out of the same spring. So my friend walked away. He walked away from the opportunity for so much money. And some people would say, oh, he lost, but we know better, don't we? No, he walked away with his integrity, his character, his hope, and the proud blessing of his heavenly father. And his future is so wide open to God's blessing now because he refused to say yes to compromise and instead said yes to God. I cannot wait to see what happens in 2024 for my brother and my friend because he said yes to God. I just can't wait to see how God pours out blessing on his life because he didn't take the easy road. He took the difficult road, but he did what God said. He said yes. You you can say yes too. You can say yes too. You know, I've used this grid before in teaching this pastors. Like I said it before. Some of you have been around Christ the King. You go, oh, I've heard this before. Law of God, principles of God, wisdom of God, will of God. But today I'd love to add another component. We're going to add one more element to our decision choices and situations. Over the last number of weeks as we've been heading towards the end of the year, I've been sitting with people, families, couples who are making tough, tough life decisions. I'm not talking about easy stuff. I'm talking about like the hardest decisions you ever have to make in your life. I've sat with a family who are trying to make decisions about the health of their parents while their mom is lying in the ICU. That's not light and easy walked with people as they're making decisions about confessing an addictive stronghold that's held them captive for too long, decisions about laying off staff at their company, decisions about wanting to revitalize their marriage even though it seems to be in a difficult spot. Couples are trying to make decisions about infertility treatments. Young people making decisions about whether they should confront an abuser from their childhood. Decisions about whether or not to foster a child, to bring a child that's not theirs into their family and wrap the love of God around them. Choices about moving across the country to follow a dream. I mean, these are big, big decisions. And I began to notice something as we would process through and and look for God's leading with his law, his principles, his wisdom, and his will. I, I began to notice something when we would pray, when we would hold out our hands and begin to pray and say, God, we need your wisdom. We need your help. God, help us. I began to notice something that started pouring out of their mouth in their time of need and decision, critical decision moment. The name of Jesus. It usually just took one of them. They would just, Jesus. Jesus, help us. Jesus, heal her. 
Jesus, lead us. Jesus, direct us. Jesus, Jesus. And, and we would pray, and these people who were sincerely desiring to say yes to God's plan, they would be speaking the names of Jesus, the name of God. David knew the name of God, and I want to add this to the law, the principles, the wisdom, and the will of God. When you speak the name of Jesus over any decision, choice, or opportunity, you're bringing that decision under the power and under the authority of God's name. It's like, Grant, why is that important? Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it, and they're safe. Proverbs 2, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know who wrote that? A man who was a murderer and then was transformed by the power of the name of Jesus into the greatest missionary that's ever lived. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is power when you speak the name of God over whatever it is that you are facing. And here's the beauty. There's so many to choose from. Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides, Jehovah Rophe, God our healer, Adonai, our Lord and Master, one of my favorites, El Roy, the God who sees me, El Shaddai, God Almighty. You know where you find the names of God? In the same book with the law of God, the principles of God, the wisdom of God, and the will of God. And they're all available to you. And when you speak them out loud over whatever you're facing, it brings his power into that decision, that choice, that situation, that burden, or that opportunity. Did you know that one of the Old Testament names of God was so holy, so sacred, so set apart that God's chosen people would not even dare say it out loud. It's too sacred. They wouldn't say it, but they would breathe it. Did you know the consonants used in the spelling of that sacred name are in fact the only consonants that if correctly pronounced don't require you to use your tongue or your lips in fact we know that the pronouncing of the sacred name was an attempt to imitate breathing Inhalation and exhalation. 
you do it with me? The next time somebody tells you to take a deep breath, It's not weird, it's sacred. Would you do it with me? Only requires your breath. And just to remind you, you're not in charge of whether or not you're breathing. God is. God's the author of every breath, so breathing his name is a reminder of all he is, all powerful, all holy, all knowing, all present. He's your breath of life. Can you do it again? So tomorrow, all kinds of stuff breaks loose in your life and you're filled with anxiety and you're all freaked out. Now you know what to do. I saw an Instagram post this week. Made me cry. Big surprise. The guy said, think about this. Your first breath as a baby was you saying the name of the God that created you. In your final breath as a dying man or woman, will you be, will be you saying the name of God? So it just makes sense to me. If you will breathe the name of God at the beginning of your life, and you breathe the name of God as your last act as a human being, at the end of your life, doesn't it seem fitting that you would say yes to God for everything in between? After the first service, people kept saying, Grant, I don't understand. All we were doing was breathing in and out, and I, and I couldn't hold my emotions in something. Just started doing something in the... In the that's God. That's God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And then we're going to speak the name of Jesus over to every decision, every choice, every situation, and every opportunity that you're facing. All year long, we're going to seek God's law, God's principles, God's wisdom, and God's will. We're going to keep coming back to it over and over and over again. And when life is overwhelming and we don't have a clue where to turn, we as the people of God are going to breathe his name one more time with me Jesus thank you for the beautiful gift of your word your law your principles your wisdom your will in your name God, may we be fearless this year as we speak the name of Jesus over our family, 
as we speak the name of Jesus over insurmountable odds and broken situations, as we speak the name of Jesus over every victory, every triumph, God, may we be reminded constantly, it's not us, it's you. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for those who need healing today. I pray that they would speak the name of Jesus over it. God, I pray in moments when we are overwhelmed with anxiety, depression, hurt, and pain. God, I pray in those moments you would trigger our minds to think and breathe. Just breathe. And God, it's the name of Jesus. And the name of God rolls out of our very being. May it be spoken from every mountaintop in Whatcom County. May it transcend every street in Bellingham and Linden and Blaine and Everson and Nooksack and Sudden Valley and Birch Bay and Sumas and everything in between. God, as we fulfill the mission that you've placed in front of us, may we be faithful and may it all be done under the banner of the name that is above every other name the name of Jesus, and may the people of God stand to their feet right now. May they open their voices, their lungs, with the very breath that you have given them, and may we worship and praise and speak the name of Jesus over all things, because it is all for him and by him and through him and to him, and may we finish this year worshiping Jesus as his chosen people of God. Let's worship together right now.